<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Ofakind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at ofakind.com. Oh, and while you're there, why not buy a copy of our new book, Work Life? It's chock full of conversations with amazing female business owners. And one other thing for your to-do list, leave us a listener voicemail, 833 of a kind. 833 of a kind. You're going to nail that sometime. I know. <laughs> well, I didn't even want to try that time. I just knew that it wasn't in me and I didn't want okay. I didn't want to do it if I wasn't going to nail it. We are really loving the listener voicemails. We're going to play more and more of them on the show. So please call us. Um, another thing happening at ofakind.com that we're excited about, we just released, or not just at this point, but you know, um, we released our permanent collection by Of A Kind Short Sleeve Oxford. It's so cute and crappy. It's so cute and crappy. Cropped so, sleeves, cropped waist. All the, so many crops. Yeah. Multi- at least three crops. It's real. Cu- it's a real cute summer situation. Um, when we released photos of it on Instagram, with styled with something else that was already up on the site, people were like, what's that? What's that? What's yeah. that? All caps comments. And we um, had to be like, just wait a little bit. It's a sneak peek. So it's 10% off with the code a few things. Yeah. Um, so we're recording in Los Angeles. Oh my gosh, this view. It looks nothing like Alex's house. We're staring at a huge floor-to-ceiling window of the Hollywood Hills. Wow. It's, it is so different from Alex's house. Um, there's also Which is not to diss Alex's house. <laughs> no, I mean, Alex's house has its charms and this has its sunlight. That's right. Um, and we flew here. I flew for the first time with my son. My, he was three months. And, and I also flew time. for the first time with your son. With my son. And it was... Um, it, it wasn't bad. No. Well, I feel like everybody said before we took this trip that like, oh, no, he's the perfect age to fly because yeah. he he's like he doesn't he has like nothing to like do right now. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to like fiddle with anything. He doesn't want toys. He doesn't like need entertainment. He just sleeps and eats and poops. No offense. What were your big anxieties before the trip? Um, I think they were similar to yours, which was packing. Yeah. Um, so you were concerned about my packing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, you were, I, I wasn't concerned about my packing. <laughs> you were also concerned about looking like the lazy co-parent. Because I was a bit. Okay, I so assumed that people would think that you were. We the, were a couple. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that I was the non-birth, non-birth mother. Yeah. And that I was like looking, like, going to look like a slack ass non-birth <laughs> right. mother. Um, and so I was a little concerned about that. 
Um, my big concerns were around like transportation of milk and how much I needed to bring versus how much I would pump when I was there. And then um, we never use a stroller in New York because it's a pain to get up and down subways and stuff. And so because I you just have to figure out what subway stations have elevators or exactly. like have two people carrying it up an escalator or stairs. It's crazy. So I just use the carrier everywhere, but I knew I was going to have to bring a stroller to the airport. So I was terrified. We have a really great travel stroller. It's the Kalugo and they just came out with an infant kit. So I was at home. Home. like we had Vanderpump playing in the background and I was just practicing opening and closing the stroller many times because I was like I need to get really good at this turns out I never had to close it once except until once we got to the gate and then we gate checked it yeah but so that went okay I do if anybody is looking for a travel stroller the Kaluga one is great you can carry it like a purse basically yeah I've been into it yeah. I like it it's I like impressive. its vibe yeah. um so that that helped a lot I so I basically brought the stroller and a sling and then put him in the sling during he was the, in the sling most of the flight yeah most of the flight which was good and yeah he was is it a good age I mean the fact of the matter is when they're this young if something's going wrong, shoving a boob in their face is going to solve most of the problems. Yeah, or changing a diaper. That's right. Um, um, and the other advice that I feel like people got when you asked around mm-hmm. about of uh, flying with a baby was when to book the flight, like yes. what time. Um, and everybody's advice was don't screw up his nighttime sleep schedule. Like yep. don't don't put him to bed late or early or wake him up late or early for a flight, um, which I think was really good advice. It was. And it just made me less stressed. I mean, I, it's we so- took like an 1140 a.m. flight, mm-hmm. which means everybody got there. Everybody got a good night's sleep and That's woke right. up and it was very civilized. I have so much travel anxiety, but none of it is around fear of flying. It's all around getting to the flight with the right things and at the right time. And so having a little bit of a later flight was very helpful in that regard. It does take longer with a kid. Like they have to inspect your the stroller because you can't put the stroller through yeah. the security thing. And it's just, it's kind of a pain, but it really, it wasn't that bad. Um, but you know what? I also really liked, one, Cam got a boarding pass and yes. two, Cam got TSA pre-check. Yes, he did. He, which I don't know what he did to deserve it. I guess just Beats born me. into the right family. Yes. Well, okay. we, we are a global entry family. <laughs> <Yes>. So they <laughs> probably checked that and they were like, his parents check out on a global level. And <laughs> so we'll let him through. He did get a boarding pass. It was his first official document after his social security card. Um, so his Sheik. second official document. Sheik. Yeah. He was pretty thrilled about it. Um, as thrilled as a 13-week-old baby can be. Yeah, I feel like I don't – the breast milk thing, my one tip that I will offer up or the resource that I know about is Milk Stork, um, which I – they will give you either a tote that you can carry on that will keep your breast milk cold or they will ship it for you via FedEx overnight. Um, but I, since I haven't done this trip fully yet, I don't fully – know the breast milk experience you can't speak to all of that yeah but yeah it was not bad I felt pretty good about it until he got 105 degree fever two days later but we don't know if that was related to the plane for sure and also like baby's first trip to the emergency room is now behind you that's right we shout out to the UCLA emergency room done check (laughs) that's right should we bring on our guests let's do it we are so excited about our next guests. We've been following them and their business for a while now. For forever, it yeah. feels like. I know. I, I will never forget. So the, the, <laughs> before we give the whole backstory I always of what do this, this where I start talking about how I feel about the business or the people before I say who the people are. So we have Erica Chitty Cohen and Quinn Lundberg. They're the co-founders of Loom, an LA-based space that exists to empower people as they navigate their sexual, reproductive, and parenting experience. Celebrating inclusivity and choice, it's an entirely new approach to health education. 
Um, and I was going to say before I got ahead of myself, <laughs> I will never forget watching all of these women that I follow in LA start Instagramming about how they were like trying to get pregnant or they were pregnant or they just were trying to fix their like menstrual issues that they were having and how they were all doing this at Loom. And I was like, what is this space and why don't we have one of them? Can you tell us, can you guys tell us a little bit more about Loom? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think actually you did a really good job um, succinctly describing what, what we do. Uh, but I would say that our core competency is health education and community building. And, you know, I, I think both Quinn and I, when we started the business, and one of the reasons why we felt that Loom was needed was that people weren't having places to get education that met their needs or to meet people around these reproductive experiences and people felt really isolated. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons we exist is to kind of combat that isolation, but at the same time, bringing people information in a way that they can use it and making them feel less stigmatized and less alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, just having a space where your whole experience is welcome whether it's miscarriage, abortion, birth, it's um, the emotional feelings you're feeling post-birth, it's how you're feeling fear in pregnancy, it's all of the feelings that you don't know where to take. Um, and it's a space where we can just kind of have to discuss these things with non-judgment and a, and a, and a clear tone that um, is open and free. It seems so obvious. I can't believe that it also feels like a novel idea in 2019. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the capitalist structure, patri patriarchy, are, have never been very interested in uh, distributing information that would allow female identifying people to have a some kind of semblance of freedom, right? Yep. So I think as the economy starts to shift and women or female identifying people enter the workplace, it only makes sense that the re the rest of the kind of environment that surrounds women in the workplace kind of has to change. And I just... I, I really think that we're kind of like right on time. Yeah. I, I, I find myself often when I'm teaching my classes, just telling people, especially when it comes to periods or, you know, you know, pregnancy or, or, or anything around the reproductive experience. It's, it's like, it's not your fault that you don't know this. Right. It's the, our system has been structured to make sure that you don't. Yeah. So, uh, so and, yeah. And also just <clears throat> belittle the need for you to seek it. I mean, right. it, it, it kind of, our system kind of has created this beautiful, horrible environment for women and, and people who identify as women to when they have a need for self-care, when they have a need for information, that it's it's kind of shamed and it's it's filled with kind of, uh, it's, it's just not supported to get the information. You're just not supported. Yep. Can you tell us both about your backgrounds and how you came to this together? Yeah, I'll let Quinn go first. I was a professional dancer. Um, I grew up in Canada, and I came from a family, like a large family of five. Oddest job that I got was I was performing for the Canadian peacekeepers in um, Afghanistan hmm. and um, went to Bosnia and Afghanistan and spent like a month there in both regions. And my brain kind of exploded with just international issues and where 
the privilege I've been living in in Canada and where I wanted to put my brain not in headshots but just towards um, you know something more outward facing and then I moved to New York City and I taught dancing and went to Hunter College and got my BA in conflict resolution and then got a small internship at the United Nations and then um, from there uh, started my own nonprofit and did a lot of international work with um, sustainable gardens and farming um, and then uh, worked on a domestic violence with this uh, really excellent nonprofit in North Carolina. Got moved to LA and got my master's in public policy. I was three months in and found out that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, this is when I met Erica. I just uh, transformed into a mother in the exact timing that I was learning about policy and um, spaces for women and people who define themselves as women and I felt like compelled to uh, make more space there. Did you meet Erica because she was your doula? I, I met Erica because I was taking her classes mm -hmm. in uh, Venice. I was starting to kind of unravel and just in, in this feeling of perfection mm. and um, I, I had all these ideas of how I wanted to be a mother and go to grad school and get my degree and it was so type A and I was really getting stuck in these ideas of how I needed to perform as a woman and how I wanted my career to go and I needed to breastfeed exclusively and I wanted to have a, a birth without drugs and I didn't realize how heavy all of this uh, was on my personhood uh, until I started to uh, like fall apart legitimately like I just I couldn't keep it all up and I I felt like no matter where I could where I went for support to just kind of ease the the pain of like this pressure this intense pressure that I felt to excel I just wasn't finding anything that wasn't super dogmatic and actually kind of like pushing me in another direction of different pressure um and so I just I just found myself like going more and more internal to try to find the source of like how to feel better. Mm. And um, I just created a strong friendship with Erica. And I, I mean, I, she was just someone that helped me through all of these very um, rigid expectations. It just became very clear that a space for uh, people to have no dogma and no judgment around how they wanted to go forward and just some basic facts about some 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 light bulbs and some truth um uh, was really necessary for the progress of us as as reproductive people what about you erica what's your background so my background is uh fairly circuitous but it now makes a lot of sense today <laughs> Uh, circa 2019. Uh, so I got my, uh, so I, I grew up between the United States and South Africa. I think we'll just kick off post high school. I went to culinary school. Uh, I got a chefing degree, but I didn't want to utilize it because the culinary industry is really stressful and misogynistic and there's a lot of great things and a lot of hard things. Uh, so from there I went to college. I got my bachelor's in art history and media and communications. And I really thought I was going to jump into the contemporary art world. It's where I really felt super comfortable. Um, I had a really fanta fantastic internship at a contemporary art space in Cape Town called Stevenson and got to work under their photographic curator and was looking at 
you know, early work by Zanelle Mahole and David Goldblatt and Guy Tillam. And I was just like, this is where I want to be. But I then uh, ended a relationship with someone and, you know, how that is after college. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think I need to move. I need to go somewhere else. So I applied to uh, a bunch of internships in uh, New York and uh, PR fashion in- internships because I ended up taking an, inter- an internship at Alberta Ferretti uh, in their showroom mm-hmm. and kind of did the fashion PR thing circ you know, pre-cell phone vibes. Yep. Uh, so it was really, it was very interesting. Interesting time in New York. I was there for about a year. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it was really exhausting. And I just kind of found that I wasn't really happy. A lot of people around me in that industry weren't very happy. Uh, so I took a sabbatical, went back to South Africa and kind of like poured my heart out to my um, my parents or my, my dad anyway. Uh, and I just was like, I need to do something different. And kind of, I think the through line since I've been uh, a child really is that I've always been really interested in working with women and the body. I've always been that person. If people had like health questions or they needed, were going through something emotional, they would always kind of come to me. And my parents are both clinicians. My dad's a doctor, my mom's Mm -hmm. a nurse. So I grew up in a really health orientated home. I felt very comfortable in what would be for some people very predictably uncomfortable situations. And so my dad uh, was, you know, he was like, well, what about midwifery like nursing you know because again like nigerian parents are like nurse doctor like these are the these are the careers these are the only careers these are the only careers for you (laughs) um but at the time i was like yeah okay that really makes a lot of sense and i think that will you know be a good kind of you know conduit for me so we have a lot of family in the bay area i moved back from south africa to san francisco and started doing all my nursing prerequisites because i wanted to apply to this master's program um in midwifery and uh on route to doing all of that i took I found out about doulas Mm -hmm. and I took a doula training through a midwife at Natural Resources, which is this like kind of parenting resource center in San Francisco. And I loved it. I loved it for a number of reasons, primarily because it was more psychosocial, psychoeducational. So I wasn't going to be focusing on, you know, doing blood draws or checking cervixes. Mm-hmm. Like I really got to get to know the whole person. And, uh, you know, you know, cutting to now, kind of one of the things I feel really uh you know, apt in doing is kind of taking really big concepts and kind of drilling them down and kind of disseminating them in a way that feels really easy for people to understand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of the doula work really is helping someone be able to better advocate for themselves and helping kind of educate them through the process. So um, I was already working at Natural Resources, so I was able to kind of pick up clients pretty easily. And then my cooking skills kind of fell in because there's obviously kind of a nutritional deficit postpartum. And then people have all these new questions about food during their pregnancy. So all of a sudden my like weird culinary thing was like, oh, this kind of works. Uh, And then I also kind of joined a, um, I was a founding member in a nonprofit there called the Birth Justice Project and kind of kicked off my doula career kind of working in that space, so working with pregnant people that were currently um, incarcerated. And so it was interesting. I was living in San Francisco kind of around that tech boom, and so I was working with really, um, you know, affluent clients, but at the same time, like, working with really marginalized um, individuals. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also had a really fantastic experience uh, volunteering at the Women's Community Clinic um, in the Fillmore and they were one of the first nurse-managed practices in the country, so they were doing reproductive and also primary care. And uh, that's really where I kind of cut my teeth in terms of just reproductive health uh, knowledge and kind of learning how to triage people's needs over the phone, figuring out like what 
is the right appointment for them. Mm-hmm. And again, it kind of just further kind of bolstered all of all of the doula work. And then moved to from San Francisco to LA because my partner got a job down here, and I was like, it's warm, let's do this. <laughs> um, and I started teaching out of my home um, as a solo practitioner, and that's where Quinn and I met. And I think the thing for me uh, when I when I moved here and when I started kind of figuring out, okay, what's going to be the best thing to do with this, with my business, quote unquote, I was just, I said to myself, like, what do I want? Like, what would I want if I was pregnant? And I was like, I would want to meet people that felt kind of like me. I'd want food and mm-hmm. I'd want like the best possible information. So I basically would make a farm to table meal. I'd teach a class um, and kind of give people the opportunity to just connect without feeling like they were you know, being watched or managed. Mm. How did you guys decide you should do it together when it came to time to start Loom? Well, I think I think we both had um, we both had just a different perspective. We came to the table with just kind of like I was really interested in abortion and miscarriage, kind of like, and you were really good at being a birth and pregnancy and parenting practitioner, and we felt like these two dimensions needed to be one whole Mm. and um i think we just we just also bonded on just creating space that was non-dogmatic and wasn't rigid and and had like a lot of room for variety and inclusivity and it just seemed like our brains worked well together and we enjoyed just building something and i was yeah i mean it, it just it just kind of fell into place yeah I mean also Quinn and I are really close in age mm-hmm. uh and you know she has children I don't mm-hmm. yet but I think we looked at the industry and we we're just like what's the f- what's happening yeah. here yeah. This, yeah, is, yeah, yeah this is crazy you know and the whole kind of reproductive health um arc was very much like kind of under a pink dust ruffle and we we're like this doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and um you know I think our 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 feeling was that we we can make this better and we wanted to kind of lower the lower the lower the bar barrier of entry around like health education. Yep. Yeah. Because I the both of us really felt that good health education just improves your health outcomes. Mm-hmm. So we were like, if we could make this cool feeling, maybe more people would wanna come take a class yeah. and people would wanna like, you know, kind of be a part of the community. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, we are millennials. <laughs> and um, we just were like, let's just make this nice. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, make, and it makes an appealing place yeah. to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. whether it's like talking about the fact that you've had a miscarriage or abortion or, you know, having a child or learning about your period or, you know, improving your sexual kind of, um, you know, knowledge, there's no reason why it shouldn't feel nice. And like becoming a mom doesn't have to feel like joining a sorority group, you know? I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's like we both bonded so much on just these conversations we would get in that were so beautiful and wonderful and the people are awesome, but just like, let's bring the daddies in and yeah. let's, you know, and and honestly, we need to bring the daddies in. I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to bringing the daddies in, but <laughs> just this way that women are often so alone in in creating so much uh like we just have to be such cheerleaders but we wanted to just be ourselves real authentic people yeah yeah Yeah. who weren't having to like bring anybody else along for the ride or like yeah yeah bolster yeah exactly and 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 just just again the sorority feeling i think is totally kind of spot on in the sense that we just wanted people to feel like 
because we're both not we're both non-joiners yeah, yeah. don't really like a club <laughs> not really super into it you yeah. know kind of like always doing my like thing over here yeah um and so we wanted to make something for people that don't like to be a part of something. my only mom, <laughs> my only mom friends to this day are just people i've met at loom yeah. like like i have a two-year-old and a five-year-old like i i i have i've been I just wanted to make a space where people like me could feel comfortable joining in and not feel like they had to give up their whole identity to come and be a part of it. I very much had that experience. I was so resistant to the idea of making friends with somebody just because they were also a mom or also pregnant at the same time as me. And then, you know, I've gradually found those people that are also moms and were pregnant at the same time as me and were friends because... It, well, because you have a shared experience exactly. and there you have there's a, there's a certain like commonality there, not yeah. be, not it, just because. Yeah. Yeah. I I always got so stuck at the fact that like our husbands don't find dad friends. Like right. like it's not that yeah. same cultural mm-hmm. cultural momentum and drive for them to go like find your dad friends and then from just the beginning then it just implies that it's unequal that we're going to need all the support because the whole disperse of like how we disperse work and power within that dynamic just is so flawed at the very beginning that I just like I just get so isolated and 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 depressed yeah yeah same yeah (laughs) um what are some of the classes that you offer at Loom so we you know cover the full kind of reproductive you know, health experience. Mm-hmm. So kind of starting at the beginning, we have period programming. So right now it's adult facing, but we're going to be launching teen period Good programming. Good for you. Exciting. That's, That's amazing. Yeah, we're really excited what about that. What does the period programming consist of? Because I think the first time I heard you did that, I was surprised because I was had a sense of, I understand that there's education around getting pregnant and being pregnant and dealing with loss or having you know, having a baby, but it hadn't occurred to me that there was still so much to learn about having a period since since I'd been having one for so long. Yeah, well, the thing is, what's interesting is most people that bleed have a lack of understanding around how this, how their menstrual cycle works. Yeah, totally. Uh, and a lot of the kind of education around menstrual, around your menstrual cycle is very much uh, goal orientated. Yeah. So getting pregnant is the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at Loom, we see it conversely just having education about your menstrual cycle mm-hmm. is just key it's, yeah. it's 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 an indicator of health in your body so you know from in our period our roadmaps periods class which is our adult facing class it's it's a reintroduction to your menstrual cycle um for people that are not currently cycling with hormones mm-hmm. and even if you are it's still a great education for a time should you ever choose to mm-hmm. um not use hormones anymore and that being said i'm actually very much pro hormones mm-hmm. for those who um really need it some, some people do excellent and by on that it. you mean birth control correct okay. yeah or an implant or whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know the idea is to give you a better understanding of how it works so that you can feel more empowered around it because I think one of the th- kind of through lines every time I teach my class is you know when I ask people what they remember about getting their first period most people are the story has a lot of like shame or mm-hmm. has a lot of discomfort around it yeah uh, and I think as an adult to revisit that and then kind of share it and then have the opportunity or the invitation to kind of reimagine your relationship with your mm-hmm. period I think is really healing regardless of whether or not you choose to get pregnant or not so that's kind of the focus of the class and then our other kind of 
programming component is our one-on-one period coaching where we basically provide peer-to-peer support around ways that you can improve your period. Um, again, doing kind of deeper knowledge, um, diving around how and how it works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether we're looking at like what menstrual products you're using or like how can we like curate that better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the period programming. And then from there, we have a sex class, uh, which again is just you know, pushing forward the fact that your sexual knowledge or your sexual learning experience is on a continuum. Yep. Um, we have this idea that you just have a, you know, you have genitalia and you should know what to do with it. Um, it's not that simple, mm-hmm. actually. So surprising. It's so yeah. surprising. <laughs> you know, just got the hardware, so I should just, like, know. It's like, yeah, it's got to be updated. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, gotta... we've totally lost touch. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and so that's a really fun class. Uh, I love teaching it, and it's it's very much, right now, for female-identifying people, I'm very much focused on you as a person. Okay. Uh, and then from there, we have our pregnancy programming, which, you know, kind of you know par for the course mm-hmm. just kind of taking you through the process and then we have parenting programming through the first year okay and that's kind of uh you know where we are there are partners invited to any of those classes yes okay Which ones? Uh, all the parenting programming okay. all the pregnancy programming and then right now partners are we are working on programming mm-hmm. within the periods and sex pathway mm-hmm. that will be more pro- partner appropriate yeah uh but we do definitely encourage them to come to everything else mm-hmm. Um, Quinn, you were talking about abortion and miscarriage, and how do you program around that, or how do you bring people in around those topics, which can be hard and sensitive for people? Well, we ha- so we have uh, lost doulas mm. at, at Loom. That's um, interesting. And, and that, that we can refer out to. I just really think it's it, crucial right now to have a space where you can say the word abortion. Yep. And you can seek support for specifically abortion, um, and not feel like a total asshole mm-hmm. and not feel like a shamed idiot. You know, you have to have a space where this is, I love how Erica talked, it's, it's health-seeking behavior. And we are simply creating a space for people to come together to discuss how it has affected their health and how it has affected their mind and body. And that um, it's going to continue to happen. and whatever whatever you believe about it is is not of our concern it's that it's happening and we're here to support those that it's happening to and that is that is where we live with it and um it's we have abortion support groups Mm -hmm. and we um we just support people in any way we can yeah and we also have miscarriage support groups as well and Mm -hmm. they're uh, they're facilitated by, we have a really wonderful educator, um, Ivy Jehovah, who facilitates those support groups. And, you know, the idea really is that if anyone has ever been to support group, there is just so much alchemy in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not necessarily saying that you're going to walk out feeling, you know, any better or any worse. You know, sometimes there isn't an immediate effect, but it's the more we're able to you know, sh- you know, shame really thrives in silence. So mm-hmm. when you don't talk about it, mm-hmm. there's just this kind of, you know, insular kind of spiraling. Cast- yeah. Yeah. And a lot of catastrophic thinking and a lot of feeling of I, this is only happening to me. And so, you know, a support group um, in our heads anyway is kind of the first step to figuring out like what your kind of, you know, healing path might look like or just what repair might feel like for you or just feeling acknowledged, you know. Mm-hmm. Are there other aspects of sexual and reproductive health that you guys are interested in, in expanding into? Yes. Like yeah. menopause is something yes. we talk yeah. about and think about a lot. I know yeah. when you when you look just down 
the age yeah. of where we're going, you're just like, what is waiting? What is coming for us? And there's no support. Right. None. And like, there's no, none. and yeah. I, my understanding of menopause is so despicably vague. Limited, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like, how? How in this world? It's so scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the next thing. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I think there, it's the same thing as periods. Yeah. Right? It's all the same thing. It's yeah. like we don't know much about that. And so it makes sense that we don't know much about menopause. But that's also going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are really interested in moving into that space. I think for us, you know, our kind of next big thing is starting to ideate around what would a digital experience of what we're doing look like to yeah. try and get the information to as many people as mm. possible, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people are going to want to have kind of a prophylactic preparation for menopause and perimenopause. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, it's here, better start dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I think people want to read about it beforehand yeah. and kind of start to figure out, okay, how do I segue into that in a way that's going to feel uh, not destructive? Right. Uh, because, you know, and that, and, and that, the thing that's interesting to me too is we are living in a time where we're starting to discover what a matriarchal workplace would look like. Yeah. And so I think when I think about perimenopause and menopause, it's it, it actually needs to be baked into the culture because what's going to happen is you know as women and people that bleed are going into this this phase, it is going to play into productivity. It is going to play into how the workspace is orientating. And so we need to buffer ourselves accordingly and not be like let's not talk about it she's like she's going nuts it's like no 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 like this is Mm -hmm. how do we like step this down or step this over to the side so that the work environment better supports you know these physiological happenings you know it's I mean that speaks so much to some of the stuff we start to touch on in work wife and how our relationship and the relationships of all these other work wives that we interviewed shape the workplace like even you know with my maternity leave Erica came and and over to my house two days a week to fill me in on what was happening at the office and to help with the baby. And these sorts of things inform, you know, our employees and the dynamic of our office culture and things like that. And I and I think we both spent a lot of time thinking about if men got pregnant, what would how would the workplace look different? How would it be structured differently? Well, I mean, I think in general what you're saying about the matriarchal workplace and the idea that we've never really had – we've never had a vision for what that is or could be yet and that finally we might get a chance is just – that's like exciting, mm-hmm. um, which helps to break down some of the depressing stats of yeah. ev- everything else that has led up to this point. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's it's going to be messy. You know, it's going to be messy. Yeah. I think, you know, when I try to suggest, and it's one of the things I love doing most right now is kind of going into workplaces and helping to shift culture. Mm-hmm. By having conversations around, so, you know, why aren't we talking about periods? Why aren't we talking about menopause? Because, you know, pregnancy is so exterior. When Mm -hmm. it's happening, you can see it. So all of a sudden, you're like, oh, she needs help. This is what's going on. Whereas your period and perimenopause are interior experiences. It can be very easy to ignore them. You know, endometriosis, fibroids, anything like that that's reproductive that you can't see. Uh, And so, you know, I always feel like if you're in a position where you can shift the culture, where you're kind of like, you know, able to lay down some things, I think it's setting an example around these things are helpful. Um, and like recently I had a, a team come in to do our periods class and, you know, they take P days at their, you know, in their company. So huh. if you're having your period, you can telecommute. Um, and it, it's it's small things like that yeah. that I think kind of make a really big difference. That's super interesting. I, I also have to say, I think in terms of programming and where Loom wants to go is, is step parenting. Because oh, that's such a good I one. I love that. Yeah. It is such a, a role that has uh, been 
so so tightly kept and and especially stepmothers yes just like have such an extra evil thank, stepmothers thankless yeah. job yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and there's zero support yeah for um like I'm so communities glad, yeah. around stepmothering and stepfathering but um stepmothering is a role that I just I just think needs to crack open and, and, uh, and we need yeah. to talk about it. I had a mm-hmm. friend my age ask me the other day, did I know of any support groups for stepmothers her age? And I was, I said, no, I don't, I don't. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, can we go back to periods for a second and mm-hmm. talk about some of the things that when people have come to some of your programming that they've walked away and been like, I had no idea. Like what are some of the takeaways that people have had? I think some of the large, well, I think some of the biggest takeaways is that your period or your menstrual cycle is not just the bleed. It's, it's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the four different phases from, you know, menstruation to the follicular phase, ovulating, and then your luteal phase and then getting your period. Uh, I also think people just aren't as aware of how much it impacts Mm. you, that hormonal variability. Uh, And we've been definitely kind of conditioned to see it as a bad thing Mm -hmm. because our society doesn't really value slowing down. Mm -hmm. And uh, as people that bleed, we actually need to factor that in. And not to say like you need major kind of like rest days, but you just need to understand that you're not going to be optimal all the time. And so, you know, I think just acknowledging that I think has been pretty detoxifying for people. And uh, yeah, I think those probably those are the two the two kind of major things that there's a, there's a lot more than just the bleed and that yeah, um, yeah. you know the, how the hormonal variability can can, can impact just you. Just fusing the rhythm of your body with the rhythm of your life it just mm-hmm. is like essential to us actualizing in in many ways. Totally. How do you guys split up the work at Womb? Well, I would say that I'm more uh, external facing, mm-hmm. and I kind of focus on our for profit. Um, you know, needs and kind of our curriculum and and the educators. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like where I'm like rearing and then talking about Loom in a more kind of public setting. Yeah. So I would say that's kind of, you know, my my CEO hat. Erica's so much more charming and (laughs) very I'm very charmed by both of you. Not not true. (laughs) I'm like, I'm such a, I'm so nerve. I'm so nervous all the time. (laughs) So I, I, I enjoy just kind of like being in the emails and uh, I mean, I'm developing right now how we're going to divide and conquer impact. And, you know, we we're on route to becoming a B Corp. We're we're within three months. So I've just completed this huge lengthy assessment and, um, I think in the fall, we're starting to expand access our education to some schools, pregnancy and parenting schools, underfunded and underserved communities. And um, yeah, we're just working to build our profit uh, with the focus of our um, mission as well, Mm -hmm. just like baking it in and um, hoping to grow those two things at one time. And I think we're doing really well at that right now because like in our first year we gave ten thousand dollars to partnering nonprofits. that's mm-hmm. amazing and that was just through our our events, our events. that's so wonderful and yeah i think i speak for both of us when i say we both hope you guys are extraordinarily successful that you make so much money doing this and that you expand into new markets and um and, and bring all of your education yeah. to everybody who wants it 
it feels really like the right time. I mean, no, it feels too late, obviously, but, <laughs> but it feels like about time. Um, and we are just so excited about this. Thank you. Thank, thank yeah. you guys for coming. Thank you, so much. thank you both for being here. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise on our podcast, that's advertisingofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saints, and we are recording in sunny LA. Thank you.